our messes and he turns them to masterpieces. That's the incredible thing about God is each one of us is his masterpiece. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 2, verse 10. And I do hope that you memorize this scripture. This is God's love letter to us, church, to us women. This is God's love letter to us. Ephesians 2.10. And let's read this out loud together. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's poetry. The Greek word in here for workmanship is poema. We are his poetry. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can feel really unpoetic. I can feel really unpretty and unmasterful. But God says, not me, God says we are his workmanship. Now, I love that here he changes from us and from I when he talks or further up in the scripture. He says, you know, you've been saved by grace. Now, all of a sudden, he says we. Why? Because he's talking about the collective body of Christ. Um, I am assured of this, that we will be presented before God like a bride without spot or wrinkle. So we are his workmanship. We are his poetry. So turn to your neighbor and just say, you are a work of art. But sometimes do you feel like your shoelaces get in the way? How many's ever felt like your shoelaces have gotten in your way? You're going along in a pretty good clip, and you trip over your shoelaces, and then you're just sitting in there in a pile going, what the heck happened here, right? Yeah. Well, the Grand Weaver, he wrote this, and he used the example where he got the title for the Grand Weaver is he got the title from being raised in India, and he said he would go and he would see these grand weavers would be weaving these incredible, masterful pieces of material that ended up being used to make the bride's saris. And he said one day he went into one of the workshops and there was a father and his young son. And he said the father was using the pattern and he was so intent and he was making the material, and all the son was doing was handing the father the colors of the thread. Now picture that, God, the weaver, us, his sons and daughters. And he was just handing him the threads, and he said as he stood there for quite a while and watched, he said the material, the colors were so vibrant. And he says, and then he just pictured in his mind these beautiful brides that he had remembered growing up and seeing. And the word they use in India for when it's a finished product, they say, oh, that's grand. That's grand or beautiful. And so he called it the grand weaver. I love one of the quotes. He says, once you begin to see God's hand in your life, you will know that his workmanship within you and through you was tailor-made just for you. His design for your life pulls together every thread of your existence into a magnificent work of art. Every thread matters and has a specific purpose. Isn't that wonderful to know? Every thread matters and has a specific purpose. He goes on to say, to allow God to be God, we must follow him for who he is and what he intends 
and not for what we want or what we prefer. That's what this study is going to be all, all about, seeing the designing hand of God and his intention and intervention in our lives in such a way that we know he has a specific purpose for each of us that he'll carry through till we see him face to face. Isn't that comforting? I think it was Jennifer that said, you know, Lord, we, we can just stop running around trying to fix everything. You know, and I think that our nature as women is to fix we want to fix everything because we're moms and we're good at it. We get real good at it. You know, we get good of, you know, helping kids fix problems for relationships and we help our husbands and we help our bosses and, you know, we're good at it. But there just comes a time. And I think Pastor's message, Sunday, where he just talked about interfacing with the Lord in such a way that we're just so our, pres- our reserves in Christ are so deep. There's a scripture in the prophetic books. It says, therefore, with joy shall we come, shall the wells of salvation. And in that day, we would say, praise the Lord, that down deep inside, those wells of salvation just flow forth when we understand and we allow the grand weaver to do his, bu- his work in our lives. Um, one of the joys that we've had, Rick and I like to travel we like to hike, and we love to go to museums. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking that we have had the privilege of being to, I hadn't even really um, put two and two together, but we've been to the Smithsonian uh, Institution. We've been to quite a few of the uh, institutions. They have, like, separate billing, buildings. We've been to the Louvre in Paris. We've been to the British Museum in London, England. We've been to the Vatican uh, Vatican City, and we've been to the Academia Gallery in Florence, Italy. And we have seen, we've seen the Mona Lisa, we've seen the Rosetta Stone, we've seen Egyptian pieces that would just blow your mind away at their incredible um, ability to make tools and things we think, you know, they're so ancient, but, you know, they were very advanced. And I was just, one of the things that always really strikes me is that when you're in the museum, really like this poor man, this British man, they have these incredible works of art just there. You can just, if the guy's not looking, you can touch it. (laughs) The Rosetta Stone was in glass. But I have to admit, when we've been to Pompeii, I couldn't help it. There were ropes, there were chains, and there was Carol on the other side of them. (laughs) Because you can't believe when you go to Pompeii, really, you cannot believe it. Those Italians, they get so much right. But they Pompeii, they have just left. And it's like you can just go have lunch sitting on one of their pillars. And you can go. The frescas on the walls are so real. One of the uh, houses that was preserved was the home of a, an actor and a comedian. And so on the walls, he actually had funny people painted on the walls. And I, I just had to touch because you, I thought they would come off. So I'm like looking. And then the tiles, instead of having doormats, they actually had made mosaic tiles of really vicious-looking dogs. So the mosaic on the floors, when you go into them, they actually had showed the doors. They had um, little rivets that the doors slid. They slid. They were that advanced. They had these sliding doors because their workplace and their homes were together. So the workplace was in the front, and then in the back was where they lived. So they had these sliding doors, and then right there would be these mosaics that many of them are still intact. Thousands of years later, still intact. Beautiful designs of the most hideous, scary-looking 
I don't know. I would not have had a pet in those days if I had that one that looked like that. But just to be able to go to these places and realize that ordinary people took ordinary pieces of wood, pieces of stone, pieces of masonry, pieces of marble, cloth, canvases, and paintbrushes, mixed them together with the earth colors that still last, and they made masterful artistic pieces that we still admire today. They took trash and made treasure. Isn't that amazing to see God takes our trash and he makes it into treasure? But the original creator was God himself. Psalms 19.1. Let's turn there. Psalms 19.1. It says, the heavens tell of the glory of God. The skies display his marvelous craftsmanship. That's the NIV. The heavens tell of the glory of God, and the skies display his marvelous craftsmanship. Now, from the very beginning of creation, we see that God created the first five words of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created. God's the artist. You know where your inspiration comes? I look at Lisa Hinesley back here, who's an amazing artist. You get to see our, our graphic work that she does for us, but... Uh, she is a, she's actually a kind of a celebrity that you, if you're not in her particular realm of artistic work, um, she's well known um, with her craft that she does. And, and just, I've been a fan for years, but she makes stamps and she's uh, makes stamps that, you know, you probably find in uh, Michael's at some point or whatever. And I mean, she's just a gifted lady, but that artistic gift that she has was inspired by God. My grandmother was 79 years old when she decided to become an artist. And I'll never forget talking to her and, and her saying, you know what, Carol Ruth, I went to the store and I bought some paintbrushes and I'm taking a class and I'm going to be an artist at 79. And she did. She painted the most beautiful landscape pictures that you would ever see. I mean, I just am amazed. And I still have just a couple of them. Um, and just beautiful, how she would just take a piece of canvas and making something beautiful out. But that inspiration comes from the Lord. So we see in Genesis where it says God created everything. He made the heavens, he made the earth, he made the star, the moons, the sky. And then he did something even greater than that. He made us. He made us as his crowning glory, as David says in Psalms 8, 5. In Genesis 2, 7, Let's turn there. Genesis 2-7. Many of you are probably reading the Bible through this year, and you've just been reading these accounts of early civilization and God creating us. Genesis 2-7 says, And the Lord God formed a man's body from the dust of the ground. He breathed into it the breath of life, and the man became a living person. God took from the dust of the ground and he made this incredible creation. But then something happened. Something happened, and you can turn over in your Bibles to Genesis 3, 1 through 7. God's masterpiece, mankind, turned into a major mess because of a moment of carelessness and disobedience. And your first fill-in on your outline is what ruined the masterpiece? Sin and disobedience. 
Genesis 3. And we're going to read verses 1 through 7. And I'm in the New King James Version on this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So God's masterpiece makes this careless mistake and the consequences, if you read down through the rest of the the chapter, and we're not going to read right now, but I'm just going to give you some of the consequences of that mistake, of that sin that they committed. First of all, in verse 7 of Genesis 3, they felt shame. How many can identify with that? You feel shame when you, you know, you blow it. Verse 8, they hid from God. How many have ever had seasons where you've hide from God? Like, isn't that hilarious that we actually somehow justify that they were afraid they were afraid verse 14 what are the consequences you will be punished verse 15 you will be enemies they felt shame they hid from god they were afraid they were pu- they they knew now they would be punished they will you'll be enemies in verse 15 Verse 16 says there will be intense pain and suffering. If you've ever delivered a baby, you could say, thank you, Eve. I'll never forget, Cindy was just probably about three and a half, four, and she had made a disaster in her bedroom. You couldn't even walk in the room. It was, and I I told her, you have to clean your room. This had been a process of me always going in and helping her clean it up. And so uh, I said, no, you have to do it this time. And I remember being gone quite a while, and I came back. It was just still a disaster. And I said, Cindy, what is going on? She goes, I'm so mad at Eve. (laughs) And I go, Eve, she goes, she did this. (laughs) was her fault. (laughs) Obviously, in Sunday school, she'd heard, you know, it was Eve's fault, you know, sin. (laughs) Intense pain and suffering. I have to clean my room. Sorry, Cindy, I owe you an outfit. (laughs) Verse 17. This will be cursed. We knew the ground would be cursed. Verse 18, you'll struggle. Verse 19, you will sweat. And, and verse 19 says, and this will happen until your dying day. Ephesians chapter 2, let's turn there. This is where we're going to kind of hang out today as we finish up. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we see here, Adam and Eve messed up, but God had a plan because he desired for us to be in relationship with him because he desires to make us into this masterpiece. And we will someday stand before him and we'll, we'll be in awe because God will have completed his work. Now, the first two verses of Ephesians, verse 4 of chapter 2, says, But God. These two words really represent God's grace and his kindness. Now, grace is undeserved favor. So if ever the enemy tries to throw at you that you don't deserve forgiveness, that you don't deserve him to come along and clean up your mess, you just have to throw this right back and say, hey, what? Guess what? It's by grace I've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The only thing keeping someone from receiving grace is not taking the gift. We just experienced an incredible Christmas, and let me tell you, my grandkids know how to take gifts. They are professional gift takers, and I'm so glad. (laughs) But sometimes people will stand, and they'll allow this area of their failures to keep them from receiving the gift of grace. And even people that receive Christ and they'll go so far, but they'll allow all their failures and their desire to fix everything first to keep them from moving across that line, that boundary of our frailties and our humanness to receive this incredible gift of grace. So I, I came up with about seven timeless or seven biblical truths that I think that if we'll apply these to our lives, that we can really become those masterpieces and walk out of mess into being a masterpiece. So how can we become masterpieces of grace instead of major messes of sin? Well, truth number one, I am timeless. Know that you are timeless. This is a biblical truth you need to say out loud. Let's say this together. I am timeless. Actually, in verse 7 of Ephesians, it says of chapter uh, 2, it says what does it says that we are timeless. It tells us there that in the coming ages. Well, what are the coming ages? That's when we go to heaven. So he's saying in the coming ages. So ladies, we're timeless. We are going to be in heaven with Jesus. So when the enemy tries to tell us your mess is too big, say, oh, no, no, I'm timeless. God is not finished with me. But there's also a flip side to that. We can choose to live in the coming age, or we can choose to make bad decisions that cause us to constantly be messes, and God has to constantly clean us up. He created us to be timeless examples of his grace, not a timeless example of his judgment. God wants us to be his works of art. Number Truth number two, I am priceless, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, everybody see this $20 bill? Who wants this $20 bill? You almost took it? Okay. But God would clean up your mess. He would make you if you stole. 
Now how many wants it? Okay. It's still worth $20, right? Get it, girls? No matter how trampled you've been, no matter how crumpled up, you're still worth, you're priceless to God. You are priceless to God. Dirty or clean, he paid the price. So, Truth number two, I'm priceless. Truth number three, I am part of a greater picture. I love vision. In fact, Sunday, everybody come to Influence Sunday. Pastor believes that this could be our most fruitful year yet. And uh, we're going to talk about 9, 1045, and 6 p.m. Everybody, please come and hear the in, what an influence that God has for us to be because we are part of a bigger picture. We are part of God's grand scheme of things. Moms, you're part of a bigger picture for your kids. Wives, you're part of a bigger picture for your husbands. Teachers, you're part of a bigger picture for your students. Table leaders, you're part of a bigger picture for everyone that comes to your table. Ladies, you are all part of a bigger picture because you have been created by God to be his workmanship. Number four, I am an original. Boy, trust me, when God made me, he's like, oh, boy, throw away that mole. Let's not try that one again. I'm an original. There's nobody like me. I wrote a, I, I write preschool music and one of my songs that kids just love. I mean, I'll be in the grocery store and one day I was in the grocery store and one of the checkers go, oh, I remember you used to come to the gym and do our class in that song. I'm special, that's the truth. No one else is like me on this earth. I'm special, yes, I am and you You're special, too. I mean, we are all created. We are originals of God. He made you special. Little Shaney Poo over here, special. There's something unique about each one of us because we're an original. Turn over to Jeremiah 1, 5. Jeremiah 1, 5. Could we read this together? Jeremiah 1.5. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Turn to your neighbor and say, God knew you before, even in your mother's womb, before he formed you. Just tell him that. Say, you're an original. You know, when you stand before God, when we stand before God, he's, gonna, he's not going to look at Pastor Kim and go, Why weren't you more like Joyce Myers, Kim? (laughs) He's not going to look at Emily and go, Emily, why weren't you more like Mother Teresa? (laughs) Right? That's not how God's going to do. He's going to go, oh, yes, there's only one of you. Oh, you came out so good. Number five, truth number five, I am lovable. I am lovable. 
ladies, it's wonderful to have a wonderful husband. It's wonderful. But even the best of husband cannot sit in God's throne in your life. And even if you have a husband that never makes you feel loved, you can have more love than you can contain. You can be the most loving wife of the most unlovable husband because of God's grace in your life. I am so thankful that he reminds me how lovable I am. It says, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16. Why do you think that that scripture is orchestrated by God to be in the middle of playoffs on, you know, basketball playoffs and sports events and concerts? You'll see somebody walk across the stage, John 3, 16. It's a simple truth. I'm lovable. I can prove it. God sent his son. That's all the proof I need. Number six, I am a work in process. Progress, I'm sorry. I am a work in progress. Philippians 3.12 says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I'm a work in progress. Um. We're not done yet. He's not finished with us yet. God knows he has a plan, and it's going to be beautiful. And number truth number seven, I am fixable. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am fixable. Sometimes we just don't feel fixable. But you know what? That's a lie. There is nothing that God cannot fix. He does not discard us. Let's turn over to Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6. I believe this is the most significant truth that we need to declare in our, our lives. And I hope that you repeat these declarations, these truthful declarations this week. And over and over during this study through the Grand Weaver. Let's say this together. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, even sometimes an artist will make a mistake or they'll have a crack in the vase or whatever, and they'll turn it into something even more beautiful. It, it was a mistake, and then they'll paint around it, and all of a sudden, that becomes the beauty of the work. A weaver may miss a stitch, and then all of a sudden, that pattern takes on something even more beautiful. But even when the Lord has to come along, like the story of David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and it says in Psalms 51.12, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. It is the same word that is used in Genesis 1.1 when it says God created. It's the same word in the Hebrew. It means from nothing God created something. So when David was telling the Lord, create in me a clean heart, he knew that his life was such a mess that he had made such a mess out of his life that God had to take something brand new. Out. He had to make something new out of nothing. Because David's life was in such a shambles. I want us to look over at Psalms 103, verses 8 through 14. 
When we look at the canvas, we see our errors and our mistakes. Rather than discard them or even gloss over them, the Lord erases them sometimes. He can actually erase our mistakes. And I'd like us to look here at Psalms 103. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. I'm in Psalms 103, verses 8 through 14. He's abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't punish us according to our iniquities? For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. Wow. Can you comprehend how, flat, how fixable you are? Let's just look at some of the canvases God made in the Old Testament, what God had to fix. Noah was a drunk that God used. Abraham was a chronic liar, and God used him. Sarah was a liar, and she laughed at God's promise. She mocked God, but God used her. Jacob was a manipulator and a liar, and God used him. Moses was a murderer, and he had a problem with anger, and God used him. Rahab was a prostitute and a liar, and God used her. Samson was, in essence, a sex addict, and God used him. David was an adulterer, a murderer, a not-so-great father, and God used him and even says that he was a man after God's own heart. Jonah was a reluctant servant who had bitterness issues, and he threw a temper tantrum, but God still used him. That's just the Old Testament. Get in the New Testament and talk about Peter and you know some of these people along the way. What about me? Do I believe God can fix my life? Do you believe God can fix your life? If God only used perfect people, there wouldn't even be a Bible. There would be no great stories of faith. But God uses imperfect people. He takes our messes and he turns them into masterpieces. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we receive the truth that we are timeless that we are priceless masterpieces. We're examples of your grace and just your amazing, amazing kindness. Lord, thank you so much that you have made us into a picture that is much greater than us. Lord, help us to be, Lord, ever aware of the fact that we are fixable, that we are usable, we are lovable. We're original, Jesus. And let us, Lord, be, let that be our core belief so that we, Lord, turn that outward towards those that we are leading and loving and serving. Because, Lord, if those anchors are not in place, they become insecurities and it causes us to lash out and to respond and to react, to react in ways rather than to respond, Lord. I pray for your mercy and grace over the study of the Grand Weaver, that, Lord, as we, Lord, proceed, that you will give us revelation and great faith, Lord,
I believe every one of these women in this room could be a Mother Teresa or a Joyce, a Joyce Meyer. Lord, I believe every one of us has such great potential if we only knew we would quiver in our boots to think that we were that great of a masterpiece. Use us for your glory, Lord, we pray. Bless these next weeks with great favor and just joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.